we are in a new sermon series. We, did, we, we have been doing a sermon series called Get Fit, uh, which was a lot of fun, but I got really nervous seeing so much exercise equipment all the time. It kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies, so I'm glad that that's gone. But we are in a new sermon series, and we are talking about called to follow. And we're going to be doing this for the next two weeks, which are going to be leading up to uh, a, time of, a time of the year that we call Lent. That actually starts on Ash Wednesday. And so just to let you know, we are going to have an Ash Wednesday service. And yes, it's Valentine's Day, so we can all have Jesus as our Valentine that day. Um, but that's going to be an awesome service. We're going to have kind of all of, all, all of our services kind of put together. It's going to be a mixture of uh, some traditional music and some, some modern music. It's going to be really cool. But I wanted to make you aware of that as we're kind of preparing our hearts to this season of time that we call Lent. Now, we are moving towards that with this sermon series called Called to Follow. Called to Follow. Now, um, I, I'll be honest but I felt like our, the Holy Spirit was kind of calling me to change the title. It was called to servanthood. Uh, and then I felt this morning, this is how quickly I felt this, or, or how recently I felt this, this draw to, to change the title to called to transformation. And here's why I think that's important, especially as, as we get into the scripture, you'll see um, Serving God is, is one thing, and that's really great. Some people, they actually come into relationship with God through serving in some way. They, they kind of get into the doors of the church by, you know, they say, well, I want to help people. I want to do something. And then they can encounter God in some way. But too easily we can think that that's what God wants from us, that God wants our hands that serve him, when really God wants not your skill set. God wants your, sur- your surrender. I'll say that hopefully without tripping up my words. God doesn't want your skill set. God wants your surrender. Now, he will use you in many ways, and he will have you serve in many ways once you've surrendered your life. But it can't be that first. God doesn't want your skills before he wants your heart. And so we're going we're gonna to take a look, and we'll jump into the Scripture right away. We're going to be taking a look uh, at the book of Mark, and we're going to start in the first chapter in verse 14. And I want you to hear this. Uh, It says that after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news. By the way, John, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we, we learn about at the beginning of this gospel that he's been preaching about the kingdom of God, which we're going to talk a little bit about. But so he's been preaching about the kingdom of God. Now Jesus comes along and is following up on the teachings of John and actually fulfilling many of the teachings. It says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, now is the time. Uh, Sorry, can you put it back? Say. saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. As Jesus passed alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. Going a, li- going a little further, they saw, he saw James and John, Zebedee's sons, in their boat repairing fishing nets. At that very moment, he called them. They followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat. That was probably very confusing for Zebedee, in the boat with the hired workers. 
Now, this is a really famous Bible passage, uh, and I think we sometimes read it, if you've read this before, and you don't get the full weight of it. There's something really amazing happening here. These guys are encountering Jesus for the first time. He tells them to leave behind everything they've ever had, everything they've known, their career, even, okay, and this was even more important at that time, their family, and he said, follow me. I would say that these people had an encounter with God, wouldn't you? They had an encounter with Jesus. Now, I want to think about this in our, in our time right now, because these men were called of God, and if we are followers of Jesus, we say that we're called. But I want to think about encountering God in this day and age, the day and age that we're in right now. Now, encountering Jesus today can be kind of a tricky thing, um, because we're in a different time historically. And our, our mindset has changed so drastically from this day and age. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, we have gone through a period of time called the modern era, starting in the mid-19th to the mid-20th century. The modern era kind of changed how people thought about God. Okay? There was, there was kind of a mindset that shifted. Not everyone. There were still people who stayed faithful to an understanding of Christianity or, or even other faiths. But uh, generally speaking, intellectually, there was a changeover from people thinking of their need to encounter God to a new way of thinking. Uh, you might have heard of a philosopher named Nietzsche, and he had this quote that is you know, very, very much along the lines of the modern age, which he said, do you know this, what Nietzsche said? God is dead. He didn't mean that God was once there and now he's died, and here's what he meant. He meant we used to think intellectually that we needed a God, but we've kind of come to this place from an evolutionary standpoint, from an intellectual standpoint, we've moved beyond that. We don't need a God anymore. Now, and this is another, another phrase that is well known within the, the idea of an understanding of modern thinking, which is man is the measure of all things. Man is the measure of all things. This was an idea that was is a very modern idea, that God is dead, and now man is the measure of all things. We look to ourselves to move things forward, okay? So that was the idea of the modern era. Now, in the postmodern era, which started about in the, the it, it moved on from the modern era because why? Well, World War II happened. We saw, we saw how fascism ruined things. We saw how communism, at least communism as, as we've seen it done, was so ruinous. And suddenly people started thinking, well, maybe man is not the measure of all things. Because when we tried to put man at the center of all things, things fell apart. People died. People were harmed by this. So it's, there was a shift from the modern way of thinking to what we call the postmodern era. Okay, the postmodern era started about the mid-20th century, and in this way of thinking, the postmodern era says this, truth is relative. Truth is relative. You have your truth, and I have my truth. Okay, we can all find our own truth. Now, here's an interesting thing. The postmodern way of seeing the world says that spirituality is very acceptable. And there's a lot of people in the postmodern era that say, yeah, I actually, I'm very spiritual, but I don't really like religion. Have you ever met somebody like that? Maybe you are somebody like that. I, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't really like to follow any particular brand of religion. 
Now, here's the thing about that. If you are a person, an individual, that has a God that conforms to your wants, your desires, and your needs, there's a problem. A God that looks and thinks just like you cannot transform you. A God that agrees with everything you think already is not going to change your mind, is not going to renew your spirit. See, Jesus does not want to help you become a more disciplined, kinder version of you. He wants to make a new kind of you. He wants a new kind of you, something new altogether. I think it's key in this passage that we read that before Jesus calls the the disciples, he preaches what we come to know as the gospel. It says he was preaching the gospel. In Greek, gospel means this, good news. or, Or another way of saying it would be news that makes you joyful. Um, historically, in that day and age, a gospel was a formal proclamation. So that's how they would have understood it. Gospel is a formal proclamation, usually made by a king or an emperor, that announced huge, earth-shattering, life-changing news. This wasn't second or third page news, okay? If you're saying, I've got the gospel, it's the biggest, boldest type that you can think of on the front page, Okay, that's gospel in this day and hour that they were that where Jesus was proclaiming this gospel. For a little bit of context, when the Persian Empire before the time of Christ, when the Persian Empire attacked the Greek city states, uh, they actually enslaved a lot of the Greek people. And when when there was this some several massive battles that turned the tide against the Persian Empire and started pushing them out of the Greek city states, um, there was. Uh, a proclamation sent forth to the Greek city-states to let them know the good news, that now they were free. And they sent people, these runners, to go to the city-states that, had not, that, that didn't get the news yet, and they called it the gospel. And they called these runners evangelists. Okay? And they were giving the good news of the gospel that they were free. They were telling these people, these, these Greek citizens who were, had been enslaved, you're free now. We've got good news. We have victory. You are free. And so that is the context that Jesus comes in and says, I've got gospel news for you. I have gospel news that you're free. Now, Jesus is offering his disciples good news. And this is the good news that separates Christianity from all other religions. Okay, this is the good news that separates Christianity from all other religions. And it's this word the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. Now, most religions do this. They offer advice. Most religions say this. You act this way and do these things, and God will owe you salvation. He'll owe you maybe riches. He'll owe you self-actualization. But the gospel says this. Look, something amazing has been done for you. Something amazing has been done for you because even though we were sinners, Christ died for us, and that changes everything. Do you see the difference? It's not advice on what you need to do. It says, hey, listen, good news. Something's been done for you already, and it changes everything. Jesus was offering to transform the disciples from fishers of fish to fishers of what? Fishers of men. Um, I really like how it's put, actually, in the King James Version. Verse 17 says this in the King James. And Jesus said unto them, Come after me, and I will make you to become 
fishers of men. And here's why I like that, because it shows that it's a process of transformation. This is not immediate. It's a call to what? It's a call to take a journey, right? And to begin down a path of transformation, and the final product is to be this, that we are to become fishers of men. Now, I used to think that becoming fishers of men meant that we should become Bible-thumping robots, that go around and tell everybody else that they're sinners and they need to repent or else. That's what I thought it meant to be a fisher of men. But Mark paints a really different picture of this. See, he shows that Jesus calls his disciples to follow him on a journey, to follow him. That means to do what Jesus does, to act like Jesus acts, to love like Jesus loves. And I think that scripture proves this about Jesus in this, in this portion, that they met him for the first time. And what do they do when, when he comes up and says, follow me? They do, right? I would call that attractive, wouldn't you? Here's what the gospel can do. The gospel can make us attractive. I want you to look to the person next to you and say, you're attractive. Actually, don't do that. That would be weird. And, and for some of us, it just wouldn't be true. So I'm kidding. You're all attractive. You're all beautiful. But here's the deal. The transformational power of the Bible is that it makes us attractive to people. It makes people look at you in a totally different way. So what was so attractive about Jesus? I'm going to share four things that I think were really, really attractive about Jesus. Number one was this. Jesus was passionate. The gospel of Jesus is passionate. He is proclaiming good news, life-changing, transformational news. And it makes me think about uh, the scripture we read last week from, from 1 John uh, chapter 3, where it says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. And we talked about last week how in the context of John, there's this explosion of love where John just starts exclaiming. He goes from having a theological conversation to he just gets overwhelmed. The passion of Jesus overwhelmed these disciples. And the second thing was this, that Jesus came with a promise Jesus came with promise. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, and we know that all things work to good together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. When you're called by Jesus, you're promised to have his purpose. And the last thing I want to share about this is that the, 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 what was attractive about Jesus was this thing called a personal relationship. That Jesus promised a personal relationship. Philippians 3.8 says this, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them rubbish next to knowing Christ. When we know Christ, everything else just looks like nothing. When we know Christ, nothing else seems to matter. When we really, really know Christ. And that was transformational. When we follow Jesus, our lives become attractive to people. And, and when we act like Jesus acts, when we serve like Jesus serves, and when we love like Jesus loves, it's irresistible to the people around, people around us. Andy Stanley said this thing. I, I think this is really, really cool. He said, changed lives change lives. 
Changed lives change lives. When your life is really transformed, you do not have to trick people into having a conversation about the gospel. You don't have to corner people into talking about Jesus. There's going to be something they see on the inside of you as you're walking this journey towards being more like Jesus that they'll say, hey, there's something different about this person. I need to know what it is that makes this person different. I want that. I want it. And maybe they'll come to you and say, what is different about the way you're living your life? What makes you want to love people? What makes you want to serve people in such extravagant, amazing ways? Because change lives, change lives. I, I think a lot of people have this idea that us saying that we want to be fishers of men, that we want to be people that draw people towards Jesus is condescending. Here's why. And maybe some of you have had this perspective. Maybe some of you still have this perspective. That Christians, if, if Christians say they want to get people saved, you're saying that you're better than other people. You're saying that we've got all the answers and you just need what, what I have. But, but I, you know, the more you actually walk towards Jesus, the more you're transformed by him, you know this. You know that I'm not better than anybody. I'm just better than I used to be before I knew Jesus. I'm not better than anybody. I'm just better than I was before I knew Jesus. And guess what? People want that. People need that. People are attracted to that. They want to be better than they are without Jesus. Um, I'm going to invite the band back up to the stage, and we're going to be taking communion together uh, in a moment. But I want to share one thing we didn't have in that story. Um, I actually just heard about this last week when we were meeting together with our staff. Um, so you heard Brad's story about how he has chosen to serve. He serves as, as the head of our uh, recovery ministry, which a group that meets. And they, he, he, he told me the great thing is it's actually recovery from anything. He, you know, people think of recovery in terms of substance abuse, drugs, and alcohol. They do do that, but they help people with all sorts of issues. Anything in your life that you need recovery from, they want to show you how Jesus can get you out of that. And uh, he shared a, an interesting story. He, he was talking about how after church one day, they're driving a group of people back home. And one of the people was so moved by, by the message of Jesus that, that, that they, they heard during the sermon that they said, on the bus, they said, I just need to share this with somebody. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus right now. On the bus. Okay? On this, well, I guess it's a van really, isn't it? On the van, he said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And suddenly, he's surrounded by all these people on the van that, that Brad works with all the time, and, uh, and he drives them about. And they're all praying for this person to receive the love of Jesus into their life. Now, some, some people think, well, that's one thing to serve in that way, but I want to see lives transformed. I, I don't know if Brad thought that that was going to happen. But on that bus, somebody gave their heart over to Jesus. I mean, that is the amazing way that changed lives can change lives in all sorts of unexpected ways. And we're going to be asking for God's transformation to encounter us today as we take of the Lord's Supper. Now, I want to say this. We don't usually, in this space, do the liturgy. 
uh, which uh, if you've been to our traditional service, we do liturgy, and we basically, as one voice, will speak out certain things. Uh, one of the things I like about the liturgy, although sometimes we don't pay much attention to it, is that it has a prayer of confession. And a prayer of confession is where we as a people say, God, I need you as my Savior because I'm a sinner. And it's easy sometimes to read through those words and not even take the full weight of them. But even by taking this cup and taking this bread, you are saying, I'm a sinner. You're saying, I need you as my Savior. I want to be transformed. I want to follow after you, Jesus, so that my changed life can change lives. So I want to pray a prayer beginning now. Uh, actually, before I even start, I'm going to invite our servers. Anybody who's going to help us serve this morning, come on up. And um, allow me to pray, and we're going to uh, pray a prayer of confession and just pray that God would bless this. Lord God, we confess that we are sinners before you. We confess that we have fallen short in so many ways, but we want to follow after you. And so we're repenting of our sin right now, God. And we're saying that we do need you and we want to turn our lives around. We want to leave those things behind and follow after you to be like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, and to love like Jesus. Change our hearts now, God. Transform us. Transform our lives. And make this bread, this cup, be for us your body broken and your blood poured out so that we can be your body in this world for the transformation of this world by your great love. In Jesus' holy name.